Well, it's a dynamic duo, we'll be back again. Nothing back with DJ, you better pack it in. You're lacking sense, trying to tangle with us. Scoop of a big black booty's in the back of the bus to smack you. You're stealing your lunch, money to search. Ready to feel like just a touch. Only by the end of the day, that's understandable. What can I say? You got strong man to be. Mind, mind, Absolutely no idea what has happened to it. Still doesn't know. Now I'm recording. Uh, oh, I've completely forgotten <laughs> what I was going to say. Oh, now the pressure's on. Now, now that the, the red light's on, you've suddenly lost your bottle. <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. Suddenly shit in the bed. I'm a bit emotionally tired. Today, how very uh, how very Joel and Beat of you. Yeah. Or maybe James Harden. Wow. James and, and Joel can't do it on their own, of course, or at all, ever, under any circumstances. <laughs> Look, as a coach that loves a challenge, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be like- and who who uh, interviewed for the Toronto job last week? As we talked, as we yeah. pointed out, um, like, wouldn't that be ace if you could get those two to win? A- if you could win with James Harden and Joel Embiid, yeah, you know, winning winning a championship with LeBron, you know, it's not really not that challenging. You, I think it is right now. Oh, right now, maybe sure. Well, the the the, the big question is. Should they trade LeBron and AD and and rebuild Aaron Rui and Austin Reeves? That's that's the. Oh, they're not hanging on to Austin Reeves. Yes, no, no. The 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 Spurs or OKC or not that OKC really needed, but like one of those Western Conference franchises with a lot of cap room could really twist the knife against the Lakers this offseason. That's for sure. Well. Presumably, Embiid's going to have to follow James Harden to the the Rockets, and and that'll be where they have to they, they end up um, launching their campaign from. Well, isn't this Celtics run the best advertisement for Ime Adoku, the coach, not the person, obviously? Um, that why you could ev- <laughs> well because they 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 failed this time of year last year too. Yeah, but at least. Uh, uh, at least, like, you know, I'm always going to, you know, I'm going to do a Van Gundy and defend the coach. But does, does Joe Missoula understand what the role of a coach is? I'm not sure that he does. Well, I think part he of it's to it's, take timeouts when you've got them. Yeah, I think he thinks it's to watch, you know, local movies that are very popular with the locals. Um, oh, so he, he allegedly Joe Missoula watches The Town, a terrible Boston heist flick. Four times a week, which is some kind of weird pandering to the the Boston fan base that that is incredibly transparent and is not working because they want to march his ass out of there. <laughs> Look, the the best explanation I heard of this was Chris Herring on on um, Zach Lowe's podcast, where he's like, you know, I have movies that I I sort of use as a timekeeper while I write, you know, so I put them on the background and I sort of know, well, this happens around half an hour, and it's just. Like I find it more soothing than putting a timer on. Okay, I can understand that. You know, I like I like having media on as background sound while I do work. But dude, if anyone should be watching tape instead of a movie for the fourth time in a week, it's Joe Mazzola. <laughs> like I don't know. Like I was doing all my debrief stuff this week, and I didn't have time to watch shit. Barely had time to listen to the albums. And that's something you can do while you write or do something else, like while you're watching film. How's he got time to watch The Town four times in a week? Imagine having a boss who, somebody tweeted this, imagine having a boss who just constantly talks to you about the fucking town. <laughs> just, oh, that, no, this is exactly like that time in the town. Shut up, Joe. We've heard it. <laughs> but the, the, the other point that someone made about The Town was it's a movie about like, planning everything to the last detail and, and you know, being on top of all the micro bits. And that's exactly the opposite of what he is. He's just like, ah, just let it, just let it go. You know, well, timeouts, you guys will sort it out. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> oh, no, well, no, he, he thinks you just, just by talking about it and, and seeing somebody else do it and watching somebody else talk about planning, that's, that's the equivalent of planning. Just like Ja Morant, you know, going to therapy for 15 minutes was enough to solve all his problems and therefore he was able to convince that sentient fucking cotton bod Adam Silver that he was completely over all his problems and would never turn up in a video flashing his piece, so to speak. 
I sort of feel like that therapy um, silver interview, though, from from the NBA side, was sort of like this is this is the preempt. Well, like, we know this is going to go sideways. This is the preemptive. We're doing the nice thing for the player. Hey, players' association, we're very pro players. So when they when the inevitable second fuck up happened. They could come down on him like a pile of bricks and go, well, we gave him the opportunity. So it was all entirely performative and nobody actually cares whether he gets better, which is is really the sad thing is that, I mean, he is on video in scabby fucking pool rooms in terrible clubs, not not nice clubs, but terrible Hmm. busted-ass clubs next to pool tables necking bottles of tequila. That's not the sort of stuff you do if you're in a happy and content place in the world. I feel like... Nobody, I mean, everybody's interest is in pushing him back out there. It reminds me a little bit of Bob Geldof's character in in The Wall, where he's this completely mentally fucked rock star, and you know all the all the enablers around him just keep pushing him out there and fucking essentially injecting him with with shit to get him out there to make sure that the the money the money pit keeps getting fed. Um, yeah. Pink Floyd suck, by the way, and I hate them, but it's just a, the Wall has particularly sticky imagery that that stays with you. If you want to be super depressed, it's quite possible that Bridges will play a game before Morant next season because that's, you, you know. You might need to pro- define which Bridges you're talking about, Madison County. <sighs> yeah. Not the one who plays for the Nets who's all right. Not the one that plays for the Nets. The one the, with the, the one domestic plays- violence charge. Yes. Whatever the, the vagaries of the um, – American uh, justice system might be like he might even get off with something yeah. technical, but there are images out yeah, there. That she didn't do that to herself. Without a without a shadow of a doubt, this dude should not be playing in the NBA, right? Like, there's a difference between you know the way the law set up and proof, and what should actually be happening in your sport, and he should not be playing. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, Shall we talk about the finals? No, it's more fun talking about all the, all the idiots who fucked shit up. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think I the, don't know about that. the dumbest thing anybody did this week was uh, Becky Hammond getting suspended, which is surely going to push her back down the, the the priority list of of potential new Spurs coaches for when Pop finally chucks it in, and somebody gets to be the coach of Victor Wembanyama at, at the Spurs for ten years. Yeah. So d- did I read that right? Did she like basically say? to a pregnant woman that you need to quit? I, I couldn't quite get a handle on the story. The player claims that that she was basically told that, you know, they weren't going to bring her back because she was pregnant. But what they – the way the, the charge against Becky was, was, was framed was that it was impermissible benefits – and I'm not quite sure how that works. What's the oh right? So you, maybe they were saying that- I don't know how that works. So I don't I don't necessarily think it was the coach saying the impermissible benefits in the WNBA and the, and the college sports is just just I don't understand how you can have fucking- impermissible benefits in a fucking professional league. But anyway, yeah. Anyway, unless unless um, it was unless they were offering like free childcare or a park outside the crash or something, maybe they're going to put that in the contract. Just, just don't take. Um, who was it on the Nuggets that that parked like across three empty car parks and ran in to get something, and and the Nuggets fined him ten yeah. grand for parking the wrong parks. So like nobody parked there, nobody at the facility, and he's running to get his bag, and they're like, "No, you can't do that, dude." This team does um, not. This team does not pay the fucking luxury tax. In fact, they they tax the luxuries themselves directly. Yeah. Yeah, and yet, and, and they don't necessarily, I think, have a super innovative coach. I think he's a very um, Mal Meninga style. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to motivate you emotionally, coach, which is fine, right? As long as you've got good technical assistance. But um, also, if you've got fucking Jokic, who is playing a different sport to everybody else, he's playing some kind of handball, volleyball, wading through a swamp, grabbing yeah. fucking ducks out of the sky kind of thing. He's uh it's he's doing a, he's doing something very different to everybody else. 
I don't think next season he is going to be, you know, the the superstar without an all star teammate though. Though the the funny thing about Jamal Murray, and that's why I, I titled the um the show the Jimmy Butler All Stars, is there are these certain guys that sort of treat the regular season like a like a like a, a an eighty two game training camp for the finals, and then when the finals come around, yeah, all and of a sudden they're called they're, Miami Heat. In the Miami, but but Murray's got a little bit of that in in him as well. Like this is the the second time that he's come out and played well above what he's done in the regular season in the finals and done it consistently. Like you know, he's what's he scored like sixty two points in the, the first two games of this finals. You know that they would not they would not have won the game today without him. As good as Jokic is, the, the sort of the interesting ebb and flow of that game is the Lakers have really put. Gordon in a bad position, right? Like the fact that he's not able to space or do anything outside of that dunker spot in an offense is really sort of um, – but this is where I think Malone – you know, Sp- Spolstra would have this figured out three different ways by now and Malone just sort of like, oh, I don't know, we need him for defense. We'll just we'll just live with him clogging the paint, I guess. Um, and the, the one I heard about Spolstra was like, you know, what, why did all of a sudden the Celtics go from being, you know, this gun team to just being ripped in the third quarter? And and they, they won said, three quarters out of four. No, no, they won. They lost the third quarter. I right? know, they but lost they, the quarter. They, they won three quarters out of four. Just ask Joe Mazzulla. Yeah, yeah, but they the, just the, happened to lose the, the third one, forty six to fuck all. The, the quarter that they lost is the quarter after the coach gets them at halftime with the, the players and goes, okay, this is what they're doing. This is what we'll do. And the players are smart enough and trust the coaching staff enough that they go out and execute what the coaching staff have seen in the first half. And then the fourth quarter is irrelevant, right? You know, all they got to do is hold on. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. I could not believe the Celtics went back to that, oh, we've won this many quarters bullshit. Oh, that was a joke just- from last year. And he's he's coming back and trotting it out. It it was it was almost as bad as fucking Doc Rivers saying that they'd won that you know game six they'd won by twenty points on analytics, Mm. which was probably reason enough to fire him. Although he was almost certainly doing that because Maury told him to. Yeah, like and Missoula's getting a bad of uh, like you know how many home games has he lost now in the finals? I know Tatum Tatum seems to turn into a Tatum's like the opposite of a. You know, role player. He turns into a superhero when it's a, a big game away from home. But uh, I have no idea how that series is going to go. Like everything, you look at the two teams and you just go, the Celtics just have so much more talent. Surely they can't lose this series. But we've been saying we've been saying that for three series. But but the heat of the heat, and they don't. The, yeah. the belief they have in themselves, they just don't care. I mean, heat culture, yada yada yada. But if they believe it's true, the placebo effect is enough. To, to bring them up to an yeah. incredible level, uh, and and if the Heat want, want it to be, it's it's a game of UFC. I mean, it, it's it's fucking barroom brawl when the, the way the Heat want to play, it. and then that works perfectly well for mm. them. That and shooting a hell of a lot of if they keep hitting all their threes, all these undrafted dudes keep hitting all their threes. Yeah, like I said though, they're not they're not hitting threes at a rate where all the stats guys go, look, this is just not sustainable. You know, if you're hitting at forty six percent. All the stats guys go, look, this is just not sustainable. It works out over time. It's going to drop to 39%. You know, 39% is a really good three-point rate, but it's a sustainable three-point rate. Like teams have hit 39% over a whole finals before, and that's what they're they're like 38.7%. So that's what they're going to hit, you know. I I don't think that they're all of a sudden going to – they'll have games, and the Heat definitely have games where they just – you know, they just don't hit and they lose. But the thing is that they just don't have that many of those games, right? And I just feel like Spolster's just got so many more tricks he can pull against this team. Yeah. I just, you know, the, the Celtics will come up with one, one counter and he'll have like a whole fucking notebook full of stuff that he can run against the counter. It's going to take some preposterous Jason Tatum bullshit in order to, to win at least two games in this series for the, uh, for the Celtics. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or Scott Foster, because or let's Scott. face it, the um, but, but they'll need Scott Foster in LA to like Jokic is absolutely going to end the first quarter in this. Next how game how with are we going to get the David Stern Memorial Finals Lakers Celtics without you know some kind of help here? It's it's looking rough, isn't it? Yeah, it's looking rough. They I don't tell you want what, Nuggets Heat. I mean, I know they've had preposterous yeah. ratings. You know, Ethan Sherwood Strauss areas here, but um, they've had fantastic ratings for the ball up to this point. Mm. Um, but Heat Nuggets might not be the thing they're looking for. So one of the little interesting things about the new CBA and um, the way that teams like the Lakers sort of do business, right, whereas they would just overpay Austin Reeves, that, that you know, they would sink into whatever they had to do to keep, keep that team around. And I was thinking about even the Nuggets, right, the way that they just binned Bones Highland. Yeah. And to be um, fair, the way the Lakers, you know, didn't match – the Bulls on Caruso. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But I, I think with the new CBA, you are going to have to turn rookies into eight, nine, ten rotation players really quickly because that's going to be your, you, you know, you can't afford to do what Houston are doing, which is like they've burnt the, the first contract of, of Green, right? He's almost finished that first contract where he's really cheap and they got nothing out of him, like, if anything, he's gone backwards from where he was as a college player because he's learned all these fucking bad habits. Is it so much so that they're talking about bringing James Harden in to, to like have an adult in the room? It's like, holy shit, how bad do you have to be to to import James Harden to be an adult into the room? I just there are uh, some teams that are about to make some really really stupid decisions, and uh, on the back of having owners who are desperate and and putting pressure on nervous GMs. I mean, Houston's a perfect yeah. example. Um, Frittata has been sold on the idea of a rebuild. Now the rebuild should be over by now. So now they have to panic sell all their prospects and and trade for a bunch of veterans and try and contend in that Western Conference. The Bucks are going to make decisions in the next two years that will end up with Giannis on a different basketball team because yeah. Jimmy Haslam is that kind of fuckwit. Yeah, I was just thinking about. Um, I think I think. The Pelicans have like a, a pick of the Bucks that's way out in the future, like 2027. <laughs> like not not that the you know the way that uh, front offices turn over, like the front office might not be there to to reap that benefits, but those picks might actually be worth quite a bit. Yeah, just I just wonder whether I wonder whether coaches like Malone that are unwilling to play rookies, though. To be fair to him, Christian Brown has been pretty good this year and has got. A decent amount of rotation minutes, but I, I don't think Malone's unwilling to play rookies. I think he has correct correctly assessed the level of the rookies that he had. Yeah, that's probably true. It looks like like Calvin Booth's actually doing a better job than the guy that went to the the Timberwolves. Like all the moves that he made have been fucking have turned out really well for him. Better than you Tim know? Connolly. Yeah, KCP and and even Jeff Green's been. Pretty good rotation player, and yeah, but they've put a they've put a decent roster around around Jokic, and that's about all you need because he yeah, is it's that not good. like you can't afford. I guess I, I I guess MPJ is their third star, but it's not like you can afford overpriced role players or you know guys that are going to take way less than the than what they're worth to come and play in Denver. Yeah, you know, um, you're not getting that Lakers Warriors effect. It's it's fascinating. I, I absolutely think the Lakers will smack the next game because I think. Denver will mm. get fouled, f- fouled out of existence in the first quarter. Um, but you're going full conspiracy. Oh, oh no! Just like you look at you look at Lakers games this year, and and that's what they've done at home, right? They've like they, they did it to the Warriors. They've done it to just about every everyone that plays there. Yeah, but there are different sorts of teams. I mean, yeah. the way the Lakers play, they play a lot more inside than the Warriors do. Whereas that's not such a thing with the. Um, with the, the Nuggets, um, I mean, yeah, I think I think the Lakers will take at least one of of the games in in LA. But if this if this ends in five, I think that's reflective of the of the playing ability of the two teams. It, yeah. Irrespective of the talent level, they're playing better basketball. Well, and you got to remember too, the two games that the Suns won at home, they basically won because Booker and Durant went. Yeah. Like, what did they scored eighty two and seventy six points? Con, you know, in two games between two people, like yeah. That, One of these 40-point games from AD is going to win them a game. Yeah. And it may, it may be that they win too when we go back to um, we go back to altitude all tied up. But 
I think we we messaged between ourselves after game one, and we said, you know, the Lakers came back from twenty points down at altitude. It was a fantastic comeback, and they still got beaten. And then they were they were up by ten late in game two at altitude, and still got beaten. And you think that might be as close as they get? Yeah, because that's the other thing, right? Is it's about and you're going to have to forgive me here for talking about the weekend, but it's about how much effort you want to ex- like. How much total effort have you got to achieve your goal, and what? goals do you want to achieve and it's sort of like it felt like the Lakers were like well, we really need to steal one of these games but the amount of effort that they had to put in to keep close enough to try and steal one of these games might mean that they don't have enough effort to win their two home games yeah and come back like it just looks like they're at least AD and LeBron are a little bit gassed but then so did Jokic in that last quarter look gassed too and nobody, yeah, yeah. nobody's getting more than a day off. Go on, take a big run up. Tell it. Tell the listeners about what you did on your weekend oh, when, just, when you weren't was, actually fucking interviewing for the Toronto job. After all, you liar. It was a a really interesting experience because the, not every listener listens to every episode. Can you explain exactly what the fuck you were doing? Okay, so I coach the Philippines at touch football. Touch football's a a little bit like rugby league, I guess, in World Cups where. Australia and New Zealand predominantly dominate the final um, and England is strong but not quite there and all the other nations are sort of like plucky underdogs that, you know, make up the round game. And very variable depending on the level of talent they get and the and the level of coaching they get for particular in particular World Cup cycles, like there might be some cycles where you get a particularly good group of players and a particularly good coach that happens to bring a team up. Uh, from obscurity to success, but we've never heard of that happening before. <laughs> so normally they have an uh, an under twenties World Cup before the year before the actual World Cup to sort of test everything out, I guess. Um, but now I think with the the cost of travel, they've split it, so we, you sort of get like a Southern Hemisphere World Cup and a Northern Hemisphere World Cup, which is good for the Northern Hemisphere nations because someone gets to win a tournament because Australia and New Zealand aren't there. And or you get more teams from, you know, the Pacific Islands and Asia because the cost isn't as great. So that's cool. So we picked a side in that we, we only had enough players to pick one side. So there was six divisions and we had one team, which was the under-20 mixed. And Australia and New Zealand essentially had 19 and 20-year-olds and we had two 14-year-olds, two 15-year-olds, two 16-year-olds and a you know, a smattering of, of other age groups under 20. And I had one training run before the tournament. So I wasn't... All right, settle down, Joe Mazzula. Stop making excuses. <laughs> I wasn't... No, I, I just wasn't... Like, we, we were expecting to try and find some players for the for, for the open squad. That's what That was our goal. We weren't sort of expecting to do much. We just wanted to see what players we had for the open squad. Team came together really good. Like the Philippines players are just awesome to coach. They're really coachable. So these are predominantly Australian-based kids. Australian-based, of, of Filipino yeah, extraction. Kids. Some, some born in the Philippines, but mostly parent, parents, Filipino parents. Yep. Um, it is. It, it does struck me how large the, the Filipino diaspora actually is. It's not something you tend to think about, but they're everywhere, man. There's a lot of them. Oh, it's it's a little bit like. You know, New Zealand and Australia, you know, the, the, yeah. I don't think it's an actual joke, isn't it? Isn't Gold Coast like the second biggest or Sydney's the second biggest New Zealand population city in, in the world? Almost certainly. Um, just the way, you know, Auckland's the biggest the biggest uh, Pacific Island city in the world because there's yeah. more Samoan people and Tongan people, uh, et cetera, et cetera, there than there is in um, back in the islands. So long story short, we knew we would get New Zealand in the semi, the way we set up our round games. The way you threw um, the fucking round games. Yeah, well, we – no, no, we actually – well, we, we sort of played our full-strength side against Australia, beat Samoa, which was the job we had to do, and then played a little bit dead against New Zealand in the round game because we have a certain amount of shots to fire and you, and you want to keep them, keep them, you know, and then went out, were winning 6-4 with a minute and a half to go, bled two tries in the last minute and a half, which wasn't very good for my blood pressure. And then and then one in the extra extra time, which in touch is called drop off. So yeah, a, a non New Zealand Australian side ma- making a final was a pretty big deal. And the, the really interesting thing was all the other nations, the Pacific Islands and the other Asian nations that were there, 
it felt like the ownership was for all non-Australian and New Zealand sides. It was, it was a victory for the entire Asia-Pacific region. Pretty much, yeah. And, you know, the Fijians and the, the PNG guys came around and sung us a song and we – and, you know, you had the board of the Cook Islands come over and say, oh, can we speak to the players? <laughs> and it's just like it was full on. And some of these kids are just like, what the fuck's going on? Like did not, ex- you know, just rocked up thinking that they were playing another touch tournament because, you know, they're kids, yeah. they play touch, every, you know, somewhere every weekend or every week. Um, and it really turned, for them, it turned into something that was completely different from all other touch that they played and all the coaching reviews I've done this week you know, the feedback I've had from the players is this was an experience unlike what they'd had before, which is the whole idea of international touch. Yeah. Um, you can see not only what you mean to your own country and it's even a country that you might not have that much of an association with. It might be a country that only exists in terms of that only your parents speak of, but it's how much it means to a whole lot of other countries that aren't, you know, that aren't these big superpowers. So that's that's it'll be- incredibly fucking cool. It's, it'll be really interesting because a whole heap of them already have um, trips back to the Philippines booked this year, like family stuff essentially. Mm. Um, but they'll go and do like coaching clinics and stuff like that. And it'll be really – I'm really curious to see whether they get treated like, you, you know, returning superheroes coming back. Yeah. Um, because it's just – like fit that the organisational body of touch football, the international touch body was just – Of course just, it's called fit. Fuck off. It, Federation of International Touch um, was just delighted, right? You know, they've been trying to get this happen for 50 years, you know, basically since Touch touch started and they sunk a whole shitload of money into Japan. I think they hoped Japan would be the nation that would, would come up, I guess, because of its rugby links um, and it hasn't really popped. Like I've they, just got the image. Played- that makes you Eddie Jones. That makes me Eddie Jones. <laughs> Um, You're going to be played by Tim Ware and Morrison in a bad movie. I think it's even more meaningful because it hasn't come like it hasn't been. Um, it, they haven't of, pushed capital. It, it's just happened organically. Well, it hasn't been big brothered by one of the big two, right? Australia yeah. is basically Japan's big brother. They send the coaches over. Yeah. You know, it's their programs. Everything's the, the Australian way. But surely um, the Australians are taking credit for the fact that, you know, a lot of these kids grow up in Australia, yada, yada, yada. And they go, oh, you know, if it wasn't for our infrastructure, it wouldn't have happened sort of bullshit. Uh, maybe privately. But, like, all these kids are so far off the radar. Like, yeah. that we only have- They're not playing to the fucking syllabus. No, we have well that too, right? Because like one of the board, one of the board members of Fit was like, you know, you must be really stoked about because I did some things that were a little bit left left of center tactically, and he's like, mate, you wouldn't like coaching for Australia, and you'd only last one, you know, you'd get one job and then one they'd cycle. Never hire you. You'd, they'd never hire you again, and you'd never go back because you wouldn't do it the way that they wanted it done. You'd do it your way, so. That's true. I, I'm not suited to the to the machine, I guess. Yeah. Because um, I was going to say, the next thing to happen is that, uh, much like Roberto De Zerbi at Brighton, uh, someone's going to come along and, and make make the uh, the flash new coach a uh, an offer he can't refuse at a very high, well, much higher uh, level. They might might triple your salary from zero to zero. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Well, that didn't happen to me, but it happened to my assistant coach who comes from a much more, shall we say, traditional background and has links, a lot deeper links into the system. Oh, so they think you're just a puppet. You're just the, yeah, the vibes guy. Yeah, that's right. They think yep. you're the, mel- the smelly finger. Oh, how lovely. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So he got the offers from Australia Touch. He got the, oh, mate, if, we, if we'd known you'd wanted to coach – you know, we would have found you a job. You know, I'm sure we could find you something in the Australian system if you want to coach. And he's just like, uh, yeah, I'm quite happy where I am, thanks. <laughs> but it was hilarious that like, – and that was before we won the semi. That was just how well we did against Australia because we yeah. did quite well in the first game like against 15 Australia. 15 9 or something? Yeah, 15 9. I think like put, putting 9 on Australia in a round game is – is, you know, I don't think their coaching staff would have been particularly happy about that. Um, so, yeah, it just makes it makes my my job a lot easier going into World Cup, right? It's easier to motivate players. Everyone's fired up. You know, I've set a training camp date and instead of chasing 15 different players, you know, you're going to turn up. Everyone's like, yeah, I'll be there, I'll be there. It's just, so 
yeah, on that on that part, it's just 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 makes everything easier. So now all I've got to figure out is how to um, contact Eric Spolster because he's he's of Philippine extraction. I was going to say so, he's the he's the patron saint of Filipino coaches. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So sh- sh- you know, a plucky underdog story. Uh, yeah. You know, some some tactical some tactical left field thinking. Surely the the uh, Filipino touch touch story's got to appeal to him. Uh, Filipi- Filipino culture. You have to have to get yeah. that heat culture kind of uh, co opted. Not Brisbane heat culture. That might not be quite the same thing. It consists oh, mostly uh, of getting old blokes who like to drink. I wonder whether he'd lend, lend me Udonis Haslam for um, World Cup. That'd be pretty good. Udonis doesn't believe in in analytics or assolytics or assaholics or anything. Uh, so he might not be your man. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for uh, indulging me. But it was like I've, I've coached three Philippines teams, sort of like um, the World Cup, this, and then a, a little bit more social one. There's a event called um, All Nations, which is sort of a very loose international competition. You know, there's a Scotland team where I don't think too many people have Scottish accents, let's put it that way. There are more Scottish accents in the Socceroos. They're just just so much fun to coach. I just like, I don't know whether it's just pure fluke that I I found uh, um, a group of people that sort of fit with my coaching, but, yeah, it's good fun, good fun. I enjoy it. You succeeded. Mm. Everything is downhill from here. That's right. <laughs> Probably should quit now. Yeah. Just, just while, while my reputation's at its highest, just, just get out. Oh yeah. I mean, this, this is the point at which you should take the big dollar off and go and flame out somewhere else. Yeah, that's right. If only there was cash the, in while you can. If, if only there was dollars. It's actually more expensive to coach to coach for uh, Australia. I think I think the Australian coaches paid like two grand to go and coach that team. So oh, because you should uh, be. Because somebody else will yeah. do it for free. Oh, it's it, uh, like we talked about on the weekend. Australia touches very nineteen seventies cricket sort of um, vibes, you know. Yeah, Don if, Bradman era. Yeah, yeah. If you don't want to pay for the privilege, then there's you know, and there is. There's like a hundred other kids that will pay for the privilege that are probably either just as good or ninety percent as good. So yeah, that they can do that, and they can pick whoever they like, and and. You know, if you don't want to coach, if you don't want to put in the time and and pay the money, then they just go and find someone that will. Um, but yeah, that's. I think I've read too many Chapelli books. That's that really just yep. just sandpapers a bit of my soul that I just don't like. Yep. Um, anyway, that's enough touch politics for you. I think so. Um, what else have we got? Have we got any other sport, or should we? Um, Do we want to laugh anymore at the fucking process now that it's dead? This feels uh, like the end of the fucking of the process. That empire of failure. That you know, losing deliberately forever, uh, and then being such a bad front office that you constantly draft idiots and fools, and even the, even your best case scenarios turn out to be Joel and Beat and Ben Simmons. Well, uh, the, the thing that, that we hadn't touched on, which was the other big news this week, was the draft, and and mm-hmm. I, I I do believe in basketball, basketball gods yeah. or, or basketball karma, and I I sort of think that any team that Maury touches or the process touches does have a little bit of that. Bad karma yeah. attached to it. Well, the the two, the two teams that that have lent into tanking professionally rather than just doing it opportunistically for one year or so, uh, Detroit and Houston both slept and ended mm. up with shit sandwiches. Well, and the Wizards that you know have not exactly been a model franchise and have done no. a whole heap of crappy stuff had six of the eleven balls for the last number and yeah. still didn't get a pick. Yeah, uh, which is a great like. You know the GM. Oh, no, no, I suppose he's not the GM because I don't think the Wizards have a GM. No, they fired, um, they fired Tommy Shepard. Uh, but you know the Wizards representative realizing that they had fifty percent chance and just sitting there with his head on the desk. You know, not yeah. not willing to look at the last ball because you just yeah. know what the karma is. You get what you deserve. They haven't won fifty games in in either of our lifetimes. It, it's funny because Popovich had this. You know, someone interviewed him and said, "You know, are you, are you, you know, what lucky stuff are you doing for draft?" And he's like, is it "Lucky off? stuff? Said, I just like- went and lost eighty games. What else do you want me to do?" <laughs> he's like, "Mate, we've had better draft karma and and better draft luck than any other franchise in the history of the NBA. We don't have anything coming to us. If anything, we don't deserve." And I just thought, "Oh, these guys are getting the number one yeah. pick." When you talk like, if if that's your attitude, if you're not like. Yeah. 
you know, taking your – what did Cleveland used to do? They used to take a lucky tie or something. No, they used to take the Dan Gilbert's um, autistic son. I don't know if he's autistic. He was disabled, uh, who passed away recently, which is quite sad. Um, But he was the the representative. Both of the times they won the draft – like the time yeah. they, they won the draw, that because they they got number one. Kyrie. It was Kyrie, and there was one other one. Might have. It, I don't know. I thought Kyrie was a number two, but they got uh, Anthony Bennett, and they got Wiggins. Oh, Wiggins, of course. Yeah, That's right. Because that was they the traded trade. Wiggins, but Anthony Bennett yeah. was the other number one pick they got, which would that didn't quite work out the way they thought it would. <laughs> Um, this is the problem. You can get all the number one picks you like, but if your front office are a bunch of fucking morons, you know this is what this is what you end up with. Well, and speaking it, it, of which, I mean, that's got as much to say with the process as anything else. I mean, Jimmy Butler has, has been re- on record as, as sort of saying, you know, Tobias Harris over me incredulously, but it wasn't really Tobias Harris. It was Josh Richardson and Al Horford for a year and various other yeah. loads of bullshit that they that, that front office put in place of uh, of Jimmy Butler. I'm really happy that Wemben Yama's going to the Spurs yeah. because- And I think he's happy too. I think it's a weird case whereby he's the sort of number one pick he'll be happy enough to go to the to the Spurs, yeah. Not with standing the fact that he's from you know metropolitan fucking France and and he's going to San Antonio, but he he given his background and given how his team around him was prepared him to be a basketball player, like he's not out in clubs like John Morant. He's you know doing ankle strengthening exercises yeah. because big men always have problems with that sort of stuff. He is preparing himself to be a star. He is preparing himself like a spur. Exactly yeah. like those guys go about doing shit. So he is built to be a, to be a fucking San Antonio Spur. And the Spurs, funnily enough, the Spurs already have their, um, you know, their glue guys in place, right? All yeah. their drafts for the last three years have been highly talented glue guys, not not number ones, not guys that are going to, you know, they've got no Jabari Parkers who think that they should be number one when Giannis comes. They got guys that are like. We're going to do our job really, really well so this guy can excel. And a very um, long history of, of drafting and making comfortable international players, not just your so Tony in- Parkers, but your, even the, the Jeremy yeah. Sochans. Well, and, you know, Boris, look at, Boris look at Dior. Dior. Yep. Uh, you know, he was he was basically miserable in Charlotte. And I think I think Wemmy would have been miserable in Charlotte if he'd gone to Charlotte yeah. too. I think he's got the mentality that meshes with that that coaching staff, and he's just going to improve and get better and better. Like some people, I've seen some people laugh at his um, preparation routine, and mate, that's like that's absolutely what I try and get into the, these. You know, get into these guys younger. You, you see people like um, uh, who's the Warriors center? Um, Wiseman. No, he's gone. Looney. Looney. You know, Looney Looney had like three years of playing, you know, 26, 27 games because he wasn't treating his body right. And then I don't I can't remember the exact story, but someone put him onto this yoga instructor and he started doing all all the stuff that Wembinyama's doing at 17, 18. He started doing when he was 23, 24. And, you know, he's played 82 games the last two seasons. So yeah, I, I'm not as doubtful as other people that he's, you know, he's going to be a traditional big guy that breaks. Uh, the other thing is they're not talking about making him huge, right? They're like, yeah, stay skinny, stay mobile because if stay you- Stay the size that you are, mate. Yeah, if you put on all this weight, it's just going to put too much pressure on those ankles. So, um, yeah, it, it'll it'll be fascinating. And it'll be fascinating to see what they do with their cap space because- um, the, the, the new rules make it, you know, if you don't use that cap space, you lose it. It doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't just um, get redistributed to the players. You get, actually get fined for being under the, the the salary floor now. So you sort of have to spend that money on something. Are they going to go get, you know, Van Vliet for two years or, you know, will they take Chris Paul off the Sun's hands for, for a year just to organise stuff? Will they overpay for Austin Reeves? It's it'll be fascinating to see what happens. And same with Portland, right? What did Portland do? Trade Dame and and reload around their young guys, or do they trade that pick and Simons and try and get a couple of you know OG Ananobi types and and actually make a run for it? Like that three spot really makes Portland's decisions a lot more interesting than if it had been five. The narrative around the draft is that there are three really good players. Obviously, there's one. Absolute alien, a six foot, yeah. well, like seven foot five point guard. Um, but Scoot Henderson is really good, and 
Brandon Miller is really good, and there is still some discussion about who goes two and who goes three. I think either of those are in, in, you know, extremely good chips, but none of this is helping Dame right now, and Dame has said no. none of this is helping me right now. I feel like the best thing to do would be to set Dame free. Yeah. Like there's a whole heap of interesting teams with with assets that could actually Yeah, and the other thing is that I mean, playing into self interest, it's in the interest of it's in Joe Cronin's interest as, as GM and Chauncey Billups' interest as coach to trade Dame. Because mm. you always get more time on a rebuild. Yeah, with the developing side, yeah, that's right. Buys you another couple of years before you actually have to be any good anymore. Now I think Simons and Shaden Sharp aren't that far away from being impactful players in this league. Thanks very much, Hubie Brown. But they're going to need somebody who could defend, like, even a little bit. And they even had Gary Payton the, the second for a bit, and he was even he couldn't defend in Portland. There must be some kind of force field that makes you fucking terrible. Well, that, that Miller kid's supposed to be a pretty good defender, um, but... He needs a public and, defender, the way he was behaving. Yeah, that's the other thing, right? Like, surely Charlotte can't take him. There, like, are, some, there are some teams where Brandon Miller, who was caught up in a, a shooting, he isn't implicated in doing the shooting, but he was around the people who were when he was playing for Alabama. Now, Charlotte, who even knows who the owner is, who even knows who the GM is, they're going to have a clean out of pretty much everybody once MJ sells. It'll no longer be people who MJ trusts which is, you know, a very, very small group of people. They'll actually be able to hire competent people for all those roles. Yeah. So that franchise is going to look extremely different. Yeah, it's funny how- It's still going to be shit, though. All the, like, someone said this about, um, I think it was Steve Nash, and that was, you know, someone was complaining about Steve Nash didn't make any adjustments in the in the finals last year against Milwaukee. And I think it was Stan Van Gundy basically did this massive long Twitter thread going through the game, just like listing all the uh, adjustments that the Nets had made, mm. you know, did this, did this, did this. Like, yeah. And there's there's so much more that goes into these teams than what what we sort of see on the surface. Yeah. Um, and stuff like, the, you know, the Spurs are going to have this new P3-style training facility open next year. Could not be fucking better timed, right? you got a player that really digs his sports science and looking after himself and and, um, you know, they were saying that the Spurs would have trouble telling Wemby, you know, you're not playing this game. I don't actually think so. If you can show him the data that that convinces him that he is probably not in a condition and he should have a game off, I believe he'll buy into that. Oh, absolutely he will. But he'll come back the next game and fucking play his ass off. Like, I yep. think he'll play his ass off every second that they think he should be on the court. But he wants to be... He wants to be the next LeBron James. He wants to play 20 years. He doesn't want to be a flame out in three years. And, you know, he doesn't want to be a, a, a Brandon Roy type player. He wants to be a LeBron James. So, shouts to Brandon Roy. They wouldn't have jumped up to third in the draft without Brandon Roy representing them. It's a yeah. sign of the old, the old fucking yeah. Blazers. Blazers, a bit um, of the old karma. <laughs> I did like the. Uh, with a Blazers fan account, Trailblazer, um, tweeting that, you know, it's all right, we don't mind missing out. We have experience with what happens when you draft a, a generational centre. It uh, doesn't always work out the way you think it's going to. <laughs> Just, yeah, probably fair enough because it did happen twice to the Blazers with Sam Bowie and um, Greg Oden. Yeah. You were talking about doing a, a game uh, – Possibly a wins pool, but probably just a game which is map the coach to the new to the the vacancy. Um, I actually tried to do this this afternoon, and it's it's there's too many jobs, there's too many opportunities. But the thing is, that it's entirely possible that all the same people end up with all the same fucking jobs. And this coaching carousel is kind of nonsense. As Joe Varden wrote in the Athletic, if if mm. owners actually want to start pulling back some of that control that they're constantly bitching about losing to players, maybe stop listening to them and firing coaches all the fucking time. Stop being, yeah. you know, make sure the fucking coach is your representative in the room. Stop constantly making him into a substitute teacher and maybe you might not be in this situation. Well, there's, there's literally one story of an owner, step, you know, standing up for a coach instead of a player and that's Spolster. Yeah. You know, it's the um, and that was as much the GM just saying. You know, do you ever get the itch to coach? No, no, I don't, LeBron. No, no, I'm quite quite happy. No, just I don't. Like chilling on my deck and letting yeah. someone else fucking grind day yeah. to day. Um, 
Yeah, I just because your team needs a new coach because they they gave Monty Williams the ass, which it feels like with Monty Williams, it's like it was like, oh, well, he lost lost the locker room. He lost he lost DeAndre Ayton. He lost DeAndre Ayton fucking a year and a half ago. The fact that he mm-hmm. they still were able to make the run they made this year with DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams speaking to each other as you know in a civilized kind of way but- is a testimony to Monty Williams' ability to hold it together. Oh, y- yes and no. In a salary cap league, the fact that your coach can't find any way to make some sort of rapport with a guy holding a third of your cap, I don't know. How is that, that not? The- I mean, why are we blaming that on the adult and not the child? Oh yeah, no, no. I'm not. I'm not saying the player is. I'm not saying the player is completely blameless. But from all if the, the only choice was, you get is to, is to fucking placate them and give them what they want. Yeah. It, I mean, this, I you end up was, with Jar fucking Morant. I, I think it was more that Williams had just like wiped his hands and said, yeah. I'm, "I'm not, I'm not talking to." Him. Like, I think they, I think everyone thought that they were getting rid of him last summer. Yeah, that's 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 well, that's what we talked about on the pod last there. last summer. Yeah, just before they gave him the the max right is that that Monty was basically like, "Well, you're not going to be here. You know, you're going to Indiana." Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think matching was the right call there. I think in the, in hindsight, I just don't no. think that was the right move. Well, the the wrong call was not taking Luca, but sure, well, <laughs> it was like and the, yeah. and the team that took Luca are doing so much better. Yeah, but but Luca and Booker would be pretty pretty good, I think, for a brief period of time. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I, again, like. When Luca went to the Mavs, we were like, "Oh, you know, that's good. He's gone to a he's gone to a good, stable organization." How wrong were we about that? Like, he might have been better at going off to the Kings. He definitely would have been better I, off going to the Kings. Absolutely, got, would have been better off going to the Kings. I've but the problem no, is that if if he'd gone to the Kings, then Vlade picked Marvin Bagley, didn't he? Yeah. I don't think they would have cleared out all the incompetent people in times to get no. all the competent people in if yeah, they'd had a little true. bit of success with Luca. So it kind of had to play out this way in order to get the current Kings team. Yeah, like I think Doc will get another job. Uh, Monty yep. Williams will definitely get another job. Bart yeah, will definitely will get, get another job. job. Bart will get another job. In fact, they might all just just rotate through. Uh, who's, well, nurse, but who's, who's the Suns going to get? The Suns. Are- nurse is absolutely waiting to see which job he wants. I reckon. I think that's the like he might even be waiting to see whether the Celtics job comes available. Who's got the because best? If- well, might well do if they don't make, if they get beaten by a fucking eight seed. Who do you think the Suns actually want? And one thing that what worries me, um, Tyloo. I think they want Tyloo. I don't think they get. They're not going to outbid fucking. If if Steve Ballmer wants to keep Tyloo, Tyloo's not going fucking anywhere. Yeah, I agree. But do the Clips want Tyloo? I don't think Tyloo's the think- problem there. I think the problem is that they've they've bet big on a pair of fucking absolutely flaky stars. Um, I think. Lou has a like a you know an exponential curve you know really really good and then it starts to fade away a little bit. Um, I think he would be great for the Suns, but well, it's hard yeah, to tell know. because I mean one of the most scary things I ever heard Ben McMahon say was when he was talking about Matt Ishbier and said there are some Cuban esque elements to him. <laughs> in terms of the fact that he God. wants to be involved in things yeah, and he yeah, wants he to wants- be a decision maker. It's like. Yeah. He wants to play with his new toy, uh, and uh, that's not something you want to hear about your, your fucking owner. Look, the, the flip the flip side of that is you absolutely want to be involved at the start, and then you hire a competent GM and get out of their road. Um, so I'm, and I understand wanting to have your own guys. Like I, I actually do do sort of understand that that vibe, but. If he's going to be another Cuban, then we're doomed. I might as well give up my fandom now, you know, because he he, he even said on Simmons's podcast, "I never want to sell this team." So, we, like, if you've got a Cuban type for the next twenty years, that could be even worse than Sava. Next forty years. Oh, my fucking god! He's only, he's only he can, he'll live to be eighty-five. No problem at all. Mm. Great. Awesome. Um, on that note, yes. Oh, well, you can always just transfer across to the Spurs because, after all, according to Wurge, they're going to draft the greatest human being in the history of organized religion or something. I think was his tweet, which is it felt like a little bit over the top. It's it's going to be funny watching ESPN pivot to an overwork. Look, this is the thing, right? Malone got dinged for his like um, 
you know, press conference rant against the Lakers and the and the narrative. And it's like I've I think he got to- digged. I think he got fucking on Twitter. I saw him getting celebrated for just going, yeah, yeah, how the fucking adjustments work, you know, and that he was just well, giving it heaps. But the funny thing was, like, I, I saw, um, I, I listened to uh, a little bit of Windhorse this afternoon and had to turn it off because we're 15 minutes in and that they were, they were like, it was like a wake. It's like, oh, the Lakers aren't going to get through the finals. And it's like, can we talk about the Nuggets? The Nuggets just won two games in a row. Who was, who was he on with? Um, uh, Cassidy and um, the guy from Foxworthy. Foxworth? Foxworth? Foxworthy? Foxworth? Jeff Foxworthy, from- the, the, you know, you know you're a redneck when? No, no, the, the guy from uh, Lebertard's crew. No, Is he's not. Foxworth? He's not- He's not Foxworth. No, he's um, he's ESPN. Oh, he's just ESPN, is he? Yeah, okay. yeah. He's um, he's a former cornerback for the Denver Broncos. He's on yeah, so Debatable, he- which is the show that evolved out of um, Libertad's old show before he left ESPN. Yeah. Ah, right. I so- mean, what they're, what they're doing there is they're saying, look, from ESPN's point of view, it's <laughs> that's right. that we they are basically <laughs> doing the David Stern thing. Like, we can't afford for these nuggets. Well, the thing is, though, yeah. that if they give. If they give the Nuggets, they've got an opportunity in the next couple of games for as many games as as Jokic, you know, lets this series run for. They just need to make a fucking superstar out of out of your man's, yeah, because they have that opportunity to do that. And they sell this guy as this is because I mean, I said you know, Heat Lakers, Heat Celtic is like UFC. Lakers Nuggets is like Pacific Rim. It's these fucking enormous. Japanese yep. monsters, these kaiju, it's these Godzillas, Anthony Davis and, and Jokic clashing it out. They need to make, if they can make it, America, some parts of America, let's say, are discovering Jokic in this series. They could make, they have the opportunity to get those ratings by making this man a hero. Yeah, that's the thing. You, you can actually control the narrative yourself. Yeah. You don't have to Although, cry into your beer that your favorite teams are not going to be there. Yeah, but I think they, they know what the ratings look like when, when those teams are not there. So yeah. I, I know what their business is, and that's fine. You've yeah. you got to keep, keep gotta, getting paid. got to pay the bills. Into, uh, at, which, at which point, shall we um, shall we do our Adam H. Photo sponsorship? Has that money come through yet? No, he didn't win Powerball. So, oh, damn. Uh, I was quite looking forward to, to discussing how good Manly were this week. Yeah. Um, anyway... Maybe next time. All right, Doc, I'm going to go get a whiskey. It's unlikely anybody is ever going to discuss how good Manly is. It's a nice place to visit if you like English backpackers. I thought you were going to say it's unlikely anyone's ever going to sponsor this podcast. I I mean, that that also. What's going to happen first? That also. Uh, I did hold out in the early years that we would get a whiskey sponsor and I'd never have to pay for whiskey again, but it hasn't come to fruition. No, you you just have to keep winning fucking wins pools. Wins pools. All right, Doc. I'll catch you on the flip side. Cheers, man. See Gary has absolutely no idea what has happened to it. He still doesn't know.